Most of you guys know Joshua Dillon and his wife Leanne, who have traveled the country in their vegetable oil-powered short bus. Um, we're really fortunate because they decided to stick around more this summer than they have in the past. And um, I'm really happy because I love it when he preaches. I think he's uh, a man of the word, and uh, he's not too bad with his mouth either. So I just want to hand it over to my friend and yours, Joshua Dillon. That whole introduction was for the sole purpose of getting everybody to sit down and be quiet before I started talking. <clears throat> but I appreciate it. I've got a podium. That's exciting. Let's pray. Let's start with prayer. I think that's good. I'm okay with that. Pray with me if you want. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you for this evening for this beautiful day, for this opportunity to come together, to gather together, to learn from you, to learn about you. Lord, thank you for the scriptures that here we are thousands of years after they were written, and we can still dig into them, we can still learn from them, we can still learn about you from them. Thanks for the gifts that you give us, the ways that you communicate with us. Lord, would you communicate with us this evening uh, through this scripture uh, that we may leave this place uh, understanding a little more about you, a little bit closer to your desire for who we are, who you want us to be. Amen. I believe lots of things about God. I believe them oftentimes because I feel that scripture tells me them or God has revealed them to me and the ways that he's interacted with me uh, and the ways that he's interacted with others. God is always telling me, always telling us, always available to tell us things about himself. One of the things that I believe about God is that he is dedicated to, that he is passionate about freedom about deliverance, about redemption, about the idea of human beings being able to be free of oppression, being able to live full lives, being able to choose him, that God wants freedom, that God wants us to be redeemed, open, available. The scripture talks about this. If you're here for the first worship set, you heard uh, many people read a passage that is Jesus in Luke chapter 4, quoting uh, Isaiah, the prophet. Jesus reads this passage and says that he has been anointed, that God has made him, God has sent him in order to proclaim freedom to the captives, good news to free the oppressed. That Jesus has come to do this. That, that part of the reason that he came to this earth was in order to provide freedom. In the writings of Paul, later in the Bible, Paul writes in the book of Colossians about how in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, there's no slave or free, 
All, Christ is in all and is all. That in Christ, there is this equality. In Christ, there is this freedom. In Christ, there's this goodness, this deliverance, this redemption. I like this about God. I like that he's a God who's dedicated to freedom. That he's a God who gives privilege and and goodness. So, when I get into studying, when I look at the book of Philemon, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, I frankly get a little confused at times as I get in there because I believe this about God, but then I look at Philemon and the story of the book of Philemon is it's a letter, pretty short, about a page long in this, in this Bible, that is written to a Christian slave owner and that is delivered to that Christian slave owner by one of that slave owner's former slaves who ran away. In fact, it's wrong to call him a former slave because he was a runaway slave. So when he brings this letter back to his master, he's a slave again for all intents and purposes. The way that this came about, the way that this happened is that the man that this book is written to, Philemon, we know his faith, him coming to Jesus, happened on large account because of Paul's work in his life. That, that Paul says in this book, uh, makes reference to the fact that Philemon owes him his very life. Like, I brought you this new life. I brought you this salvation. Now, here's the thing. After Paul met Philemon at some later point, he's in jail. He's in jail probably in Ephesus when he writes this letter. And somehow whether it be because uh, the slave, whose name is Onesimus, because the slave kind of was impressed with Paul and ran after him, or because he just ran away and kind of happened upon Paul, either by circumstance or maybe by divine providence. This slave who belonged to this man who Paul had saved also meets up with Paul. And, you know, Paul's kind of good at this Jesus thing. So the slave also becomes a follower of Jesus. Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. After Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus, Paul says the right thing to do is to send him back to Philemon. To send him back. He's got all this newfound freedom. He's got got physical freedom because he's escaped this captivity, this slavery. He's got spiritual freedom, which I'm sure is mind-blowing and amazing and significant to him, that he just feels opened up and free and that the sky's the limit and all these possibilities. And Paul says, and now you go back to your slave owner. <laughs> that's that's got to be a tough pill to swallow, don't you think? You're going to take a letter... I'm going to write a letter, and you're going to take it back to your slave owner. And you're going, to, you're going to meet up with him face-to-face, and we'll see how things go. Now, it's likely that at this point in time, again, referencing the letter of Philemon, which we're going to read in just a minute here, it's likely at this that when uh, Onesimus ran away, that he actually stole from his owner, from Philemon, in order to be able to have the resources to kind of get out of Dodge. Right, So not only is he like, yeah, whoops, sorry about skipping town, but I probably stole some stuff from you too. 
There's some allusions to that. So the best thing to do, I think, when Scripture seems um, perhaps confusing or disorienting or whatever the case may be is, hey, read it. Let's, let's actually read it. So instead of just continuing to talk about it, I'm going to read the book of Philemon. It'll be up on the screen here. So feel free to follow around, along up there or in a Bible if you have it. This is uh, mostly the New International Version. There's a couple word changes uh, that come from other translations as well. So if it doesn't do a one-on-one correlation, um, sorry up there. Uh, Book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is actually the only place in the whole Bible that Paul opens a letter by giving himself the title of prisoner of Christ Jesus. Kind of interesting. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Epiphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing We share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Reminder here, Paul is talking to and about the slave owner, just in case we we miss that. He's really saying some nice things about him. He goes on to say, Therefore, based upon these nice things I've said about you, therefore... Although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an ambassador and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Interesting thing here is the word Onesimus, his name, means useful in Greek. So Paul's kind of doing a play on words here. It's, it's a common slave name. Onesimus is a common slave name. Um, kind of makes sense. I would call my slave useful. I want him to be useful sort of thing. But he's making a play on words here where he says... He wasn't useful to you. You maybe you thought he was, but now, because of this new life he has, he's not only useful to you, but also to me. He says, I am sending him, Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do, would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, and even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. 
So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. I won't even mention that you owe me your very self. Way to not mention that, Paul. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Interestingly, I wish that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. The root word in Greek of benefit there is the same word as Onesimus. Same root word. He's saying, I do wish that you would be useful to me in the Lord. Kind of a play on that name again. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I think it's worth us putting ourselves in the shoes of Onesimus. Kind of imagining for a minute, this guy, with all his newfound freedom, escaped from his master, spiritual, physical freedom, number one, agreeing to go back. Like the willingness to go back and make things right. And then, number two, he says, okay, I'll do it. And then he takes this letter, and maybe he knew the contents of the letter, or maybe he didn't. But he takes this letter, and he actually goes all the way back. You know, he doesn't kind of get halfway there and go, I'll be over here. You know, he actually makes it all the way back. And then, perhaps he has to stand before His former master, who he's wrong, who he's ran away from, or current master, depending on how you're looking at it, and be like, uh, is it going to be okay? Especially because the content of this letter, although Paul certainly, clearly uh, advocates for Onesimus in this letter, The content of it, nowhere in there does he say, hey, I'm Paul, you owe me your very life, so therefore, you will do as I say. You will free him. In fact, at no point does he even say, I suggest strongly that this is the course of action that you take. He actually makes a couple different allusions in here. He talks about the possibility of Onesimus staying there and then being united as brothers. He talks about the possibility of Onesimus coming back to him where he's at in jail. He just says, you know, to paraphrase, hey, um, you respect me, right? I suggest strongly that you should do the right thing with Onesimus. Like, if I'm Onesimus, this has got to kind of be eating me up, you know? Like, uh, can you just be a little more specific and a little more uh, 
heavy-handed, maybe? I could really appreciate that right now. And on some level, uh, not, not on some level, on about every level, I can, I can see his point. You know, like slavery, right? God's about freedom. God's about deliverance. God's about liberty in him. God's about these things. Jesus came to do these things. So what's the deal with kind of treading lightly and not getting into real specific, intense demands here? I think it's worth us analyzing. You know, when we look at Scripture, sometimes one of the first things that we have to do is look at ourselves. Look at the lens that we use. Look at the glasses that we put on. Look at the ways that we kind of see Scripture based upon our experiences, our biases, our culture. And I think that if we turn, uh, turn our perspective upon ourselves for a minute and think about the ways that we oftentimes go about talking about and engaging with people about the things that we think are important or the things that we care about. As, as a culture and as individuals. Because it seems to me that we have a tendency to tell people how it is. And appreciate it, maybe, when people tell people how it is. Like, you know, if, if you're into like, uh, if you're kind of a Republican, strong Republican, man, you like it when you're Republican folks tell people how it is, you know. And vice versa, if you're strong as a Democrat, tell them the truth, you know. And, and with, with, uh, with, with even church teachers, you know, like preach it. Tell them the truth, you know. We like, I like, I like the simplicity of just saying, this is how it is. You should do that. Do that. We have to stop and think for a minute how effective that is most of the time. Because I do like, it's a bias, honestly. Like, when I feel strongly about something, I'm like, man, I'm not, I'm not pulling any punches. I'm not lying to anybody. I'm telling them how it is. But we have to stop and think about how that works. Because let's, let's say, for example, that I stood up here, or better yet, I mean, maybe you guys are a more receptive audience. Maybe let's say that I go over to uh, West High School, and I go and I have an assembly at West High School, and I go there and I say, you need to stop driving cars, never drive cars because they pollute the environment. Stop it. It's bad. And you need to stop watching TV because TV pollutes your mind. Stop it. How would that be received, do you think? <laughs> Middle finger, says the teacher at West High School. <laughs> he knows. These things are kind of enmeshed in our culture, right? Like the idea of like, well, TV is just a default. Of course, we watch TV. How do we get around? We drive cars. Of course we do. What we forget to see is slavery in the ancient world was a part of their culture in a real similar way to maybe how television and automobiles were. The, the system worked on it, man. It was just the way that it was. Like, like commerce worked on it. Society worked on it. In fact, like making sure people had jobs and were taken care of was built on this foundation of slavery. They say that a third, a full third 
of the Roman world were slaves. There was actually, I read, I read a thing that said that there was like a bill that went before the Roman Senate that said we want to mark what slaves, like, like give them some style of dress so we can recognize, tell the difference between slaves and non-slaves because it was impossible to just tell out in public because there were so many of them and some were doctors and orators and all sorts of different things. We want to give them clothes so we know who's slaves and who's not. And that, that, Legislation was struck down because they were afraid that if the slaves knew how many other slaves there were, they would revolt because they'd be like, man, there are so many of us. What are we doing? So coupled with the logical reality of the fact that very rarely when people go into situations and say, Rules, laws, this is how it is, you do it. Very rarely does that work. That coupled with the dynamic of this being an integral part of how they understood how the world worked, coupled with the reality that God often doesn't do things the way we do things, brings us to the point in which Paul says... Hey, do what's right. I trust that you'll do what's right. Let me mention a couple things about why you should feel obligated to that and toss in a hint of maybe I'll come visit soon to check up on you. And The thing that really stands out to me in this passage, the thing that really tells me about how that you know what it does? It reveals to me that Paul's heart is a heart of freedom. Paul's heart is a heart of redemption. (laughs) I was looking at these papers. These are not my notes. I'll just put that. I'm going to start reading from Luke 4 over here. Okay. Out of the Bible here. is in verse 17. We start there. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. It's me. It's Paul. I mean it. I will pay it back. And I'm not even going to mention that you owe me your very self. Paul, check it out. We may say, we may ask ourselves, why doesn't Paul condemn slavery here? Why doesn't Paul tip a table over and overthrow the system? Why doesn't Paul say that this is wrong and get after it and get after this Christian man who he's heaping praise on and say slavery is wrong and you shouldn't be doing it? Why doesn't he do that here? He does. He just doesn't do it in the you will do as I say way. He does it in the way that he gets his hands dirty. He does it in the way that he says, to make this right, I am going to put myself in his place. Whatever wrong he's done to you, however he's offended you, however you treat him, treat him like you'd be treating me because you respect me. I am willing to stand in for him. Does that sound familiar? 
Because I think Jesus did a real similar thing. I think Jesus' method of transformation was this interpersonal method of getting involved, of getting his hands dirty, of not telling people how it was per se, although there's times where Jesus did that and it was very appropriate. But the, the, the pinnacle, the crux action that Jesus did in this world was to stand in for us, was to put himself on the line for us, was to say, all Father, all these wrongs that these people have done to you, I care about them enough that I'm going to come down here, I'm going to live in one of their smelly, nasty bodies, I'm going to stand in for them, and I want you to see them as if they were me. Treat them like they were me. I'm going to take that on. And Paul models God's example, God's A plan of transformation. It's not from the top down. It's not from the, I'm going to tell you how to do it. It's from the, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to put myself in the mess. I'm going to, I realize that this world is a real world. It's not some sort of fake, make-believe, idealized existence. This is a messy, nasty, broken systems are built upon structures that God cannot accept sort of world. And you know what? I'm going to get right in the middle of that, and I'm going to get my hands dirty, and I'm going to get involved. And that's where the change is going to come from. And Paul is able to get into this situation, this same mindset as Jesus, and do that here for Onesimus with Philemon. You know, churches sometimes have problems with people not getting along. Churches sometimes have problems with people talking about other people, with person A not getting along with person B, and then person C is put in the middle of it, and person C doesn't want to get involved, and they don't want to, you know, and, and, you know, and, and in the best possible sense, uh, they don't want to get involved in gossip. Like, if Joe's talking about Sandy to uh, Bob... You know, it's, it's pretty admirable for, admirable for Bob to be like, you know what, I'm just not getting involved, man. Like, like, just don't bring me into this sort of situation. But I wonder, I wonder if Paul valued fellowship and reconciliation so highly that he was willing to send a slave back to his master that they could be brothers in the faith if we shouldn't begin to look again at whether or not we're willing to get our hands dirty and willing to get involved in the conflicts that we may have with each other in this group as Christians or with other Christians, other believers out there. Are we the sort of people who want to step back and point fingers? Are we the sort of people who want to say, I don't want to get involved? Are we the sort of people who want to step into the middle of conflict between brothers and sisters and say, let that be upon me. How can I convince you? How can I take this upon myself? How can I make this better? How can I make this right? I think that's the way of Jesus. And I think if Paul could do it, we can do it. 
and ought to do it. You know, the world didn't end yesterday. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it didn't. I could maybe could walk through one of you like a ghost or something. The world didn't end yesterday. Now, it's funny because I got lots of friends who aren't Christians. And, uh, you know, some of them had a end-of-the-world party. Um, and you know, it, it just struck me. It struck me to think about that. Like, I know personally a, a guy who has tried to, like, is a part of this May 21st end-of-the-world family Christian radio group, this whole thing that was talked about. I know a guy who believes that. I'm going to give him a call tomorrow and make sure he's doing okay. I know a guy who believes that, right? Um, I care about him. He's a good guy. I made some mistakes here in believing in this sort of stuff. But the reality of the situation is my natural impulse with that is to go to the end of the world party and laugh at these people. Laugh at these people. You know, as scum of the earth, I think we are particularly likely to kind of give crap to other churches for doing dumb stuff. But I I thought, wouldn't it be an interesting experiment if I went to that party? Now, I I didn't because I was working on my message. But if I went to that party and I walked in and I pretended like I was one of those people who thought the world was going to end and see how it went, not try to be cooler not try to be savvy, not try to be not one of those Christians, but just see what happened if I was willing to be misled and dumb and how people interact and engage with me. Now, I'm not saying that that's exactly what we do. I'm not saying put yourself in the position, but I'm wondering how we can look at situations like that as Christians, and instead of going, we're the cool, savvy Christians, we're not like those Christians, and, and we're, in fact, we're maybe not even going to call ourselves Christians because we don't like what that term's come to mean. If we can step in and get our hands dirty and try to redeem this concept of what it means to be a Christian and try to say, you know what, those people, maybe they were wrong, but let's look at some of the good things about them. Let's look at the way that Christ is helping them and involved in them and ways that I can step in and be an advocate. I think that that's something that we could grow in as a church. I know it's something that I could grow in as an individual. So let me end with this. We're not 100% sure what happened to Onesimus. We're not 100% sure. But there is a body of church tradition that believes that this Onesimus Number one, that this letter, the letter to Philemon, was saved because it was accepted. That Philemon was like, all right, cool. Because if he would have been pretty anti it, you don't think it would stick around. He wouldn't save it. He'd, you know, light it on fire or something. But this letter stuck around, and there's a body of evidence to suggest suggest that this Onesimus went on to become the bishop of Ephesus. And that he is actually the one potentially, who was the first one to collect the letters of Paul together so that we could have them together and allowed us to be able to put these letters into the Scripture. I imagine that he, uh, he would have included this one uh, <laughs> because it had a, a special place in his heart. So it worked, you know? Weird. 
God's way of redeeming, God's way of changing, God's way of bringing freedom and redemption to these people, to this world, it worked. And that's pretty cool. So I want to encourage you guys to to, uh, look for ways that we can step into that. Do we have people to do communion? Awesome. Uh, As we process that, as we engage with that, as we look for ways that God may be calling us to step into situations and to be Christ in those situations, to be an advocate, to take things upon ourselves that we don't naturally deserve in order to make other people's lives freer and better. We have an opportunity. Those of us who follow Christ have an opportunity tonight to receive communion, to receive the Eucharist. This is a wonderful, beautiful gift representative of Christ coming and, and being with us. That, that the bread is the body of Christ and that the cup is the blood of Christ and that we can remember Jesus and that we can participate in a way in his sufferings by taking this bread and this cup and that God can give us special grace through doing that, and wants to meet us there. So what more appropriate way to learn about, to think about, to work on becoming advocates, stepping in for people, than to meet how Jesus, how he stepped in for us through the body and the blood of Christ. So there's going to be a station upstairs. There's going to be two stations here. Gluten-free station? Okay, they all have gluten-free. If you're super sensitive to wheat, be careful um, because there's kind of gluten-free and non-gluten-free on the same plates. But you can go to any station if you have gluten-free needs. I want to encourage you that if you want to draw closer to Jesus, come forward and receive this. And we're going we're gonna to have a couple more songs here. Thanks. Thanks.